Praise the Lord, the one. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Colossians chapter 3. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 8. But now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythican, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you're called in one body, and be ye thankful. And if you'll allow me for a little while tonight, I want to teach you about what the Holy Ghost will not do for you. I want to talk about what the Holy Ghost will not do for you. You have to do it for yourself. The Lord bless you may be seated. Before I begin tonight, let me say what a great honor it is to be here. And um, we do have a lot to be thankful for. Uh, I'm going to steal my wife's thunder a little bit tonight. Uh, I don't know if, if you're aware, but last summer... My wife was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis as a result of medication she had taken. And at that time, she only had 62% capacity of her lungs. They indicated that it, if it something didn't happen, it got worse, then there could be some severe complications to the point of even a lung transplant. Uh, we went today, and she had a test. And now her lungs are functioning at 68%. The crackling sound that was there is not there anymore. On the way home from the doctor's office last summer, my wife said, when we got all that bad news, she said, you know, James, for God to perform miracles, somebody has to be sick. So we're just going to believe for our miracle. And the miracle has started and we're, we're believing God for complete and total healing before it's over. I remember growing up as a kid around the church. Mom and dad received the Holy Ghost in the middle forties. I was born in 1951. So I, I grew up in church, sleeping on pews, under pews. And I I remember hearing us talk about God 
and this wonderful experience that God had allowed us to enjoy and to receive. And when people would share that experience with others, at times they would say things like, you really need to get the Holy Ghost because it will change you. Now, there were many that were delivered from all kinds of problems or addictions when they got the Holy Ghost were baptized. But there were some who were not. Just because some were delivered doesn't mean that that's what the Holy Ghost was for. Jesus teaches us that the Holy Ghost will do three things in our lives. It will lead and guide us into all truth. It will remind us of what he said. And it will teach us all things. Jesus called the Holy Ghost the Comforter. John chapter 14, he shares a revelation with those disciples that night in the upper room that really wasn't real comforting because he had just revealed to them that he would die the next day. They thought they were at Jerusalem for him to assume the throne of David, not to see him crucified. And when he tells them about his death and what will happen the next day, Terror seizes them. John chapter 14 verse 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That scripture is not written to the world. It was written men in an upper room. Twelve men, or actually at that point, there were only eleven men in an upper room. Those eleven men were terrified. And then he begins to describe what the Holy Ghost will do for us. As the Holy Ghost comes into our lives, it will be our comforter. The Greek word that's used there is a compound word. It has a preposition, para, and the verb kletos. And it literally is described or defined as an expert witness. One called in to give advice in difficult circumstances. A lawyer or a legal defense. The Holy Ghost is not my janitor. It doesn't fix my mistakes or my problems. When I receive the Holy Ghost, I do become empowered to become anything I want to be. But God's not going to make me do any of those things. If I choose to become different, there is a choice process that takes place. And I have to start choosing to change my life. I have to start choosing to do things differently than I did before. Because God is not going to do that for me. When you get the Holy Ghost, you don't become God's puppet. You don't have strings attached to you. And He moves you here and then moves you there and moves you here. And and He makes you do this or makes you do that. When He fills you with His Spirit, what He does is sever the power that Satan has on your life, and he gives your life back to you. He basically places you back in the garden, just like Adam was in the garden, as a whole person. Now, I have the ability to start changing my life, or doing things differently if I choose. 
We live in a world today that seems to think everybody else has to fix me. It's everyone else's responsibility to make me a better person. And, and, and please don't misunderstand what I'm saying tonight, but we've just, we are seeing it unfold right now as a result of what a child did to other children. And now everybody's saying that we should have fixed that person. And that's our attitude about life. That we have this super ability to fix people. You can't fix anybody but you. I can't change my kids. I sure can't change my grandkids. I tried to influence, but I can't change. When change has to happen, it has to start inside of me. And Paul gives us a list of things that has to happen in our lives for us to truly become what God has desired for us to be. For us to become the vessel that can be used by God, there are things I have to start doing to myself. When Paul says in the 8th verse, but now you also put off these In the Greek language, the verb that's used here is in the imperfect tense, which means that the subject participates in the action. The literal translation should say, you put off yourself. You disrobe yourself. And here are things that wreck our lives, that wreck our homes, that wreck our relationship, that wrecks the church. That wrecks your job. That wrecks your friendships. These are the issues that will destroy everything in my life if I don't get rid of them. And the first one at the top of that list is anger. And the second one is wrath. Which are actually almost, in our language, two of the same word. But it's two different words in the Greek language. Anger speaks of something that takes a long time to happen or to take place. It's... It's not a spontaneous event. It's, it's a long enduring process that eventually causes me to lose uh, uh, my desire to help someone or, or, or lose my patience with someone and then I become angry at their behavior. The second word, thumus, speaks of straw that you strike a match and flip at and it just blazes suddenly. He says, these are things I have to get out of my life. Put off anger. Put off wrath. Put off malice. Put off. You disrobe yourselves of conversations that are not wholesome. Amen. I have to guard my words and what I talk about. Because it's easy for me to let my conversation take me places that I really shouldn't have gone. And my conversation can become offensive, obscene, and even vulgar to those people that I'm around if I'm not careful to control me. And the, 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 the spirit of, of, of a joke or laughter, we often say things that are very derogatory, very hurting, very humiliating, and actually they're even obscene. He said, those are the things you gotta get out of your life. The Holy Ghost is not going to become a janitor 
with a dustpan and a broom to follow me to fix everything I wreck or destroy. I have to start choosing to change. Now, I have discovered that if you were a jerk before you got the Holy Ghost, you're just going to be a jerk with the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost is not going to fix that part of your character. Because the Holy Ghost didn't make you that way to start with. So the Holy Ghost is not going to change me into something that I created myself. I have to change. I have to choose to to make decisions about what I'm going to do. And I'm discovering as I get older, that's harder and harder to do every day. I'm not kinder at 66 and a half as I was when I was 20. I don't have more patience. I'm sure not more long-suffering. It's not hard to say my mind or speak my mind and my filter's gone. Those things that that offend, if I'm not careful, I can do more damage with my words than I have ever done with my behavior. So Paul says, okay, church, these are things that need to be taken out of our lives. we got to quit lying to one another. These are put off anger, wrath, malice, blaspheming. Blasphemy. The Greek word is blasphemia. The closest word we have to that word is gossip. Matter of fact, I just read a statistic. You can find it in some of the researches out there that anybody that has a Facebook page just increased the possibility of divorce by 35%. It, it's, it's the most unhealthy things that we do, but yet we just continue to do that because it's fun. We, we get to snoop on people. We get to play sheriff. We get to, to, to surf the web to see who's misbehaving and who's not misbehaving. And, and we get to take them to the Lord and remind the Lord, they're really being bad today. You ought to really do something about them. The Holy Ghost is not going to change that in my life. The Holy Ghost doesn't make me holy. When I get the Holy Ghost, I don't sprout a halo instantly. Matter of fact, it appears to me that most people that get the Holy Ghost sprout horns. It doesn't take a lot for us to butt heads over things. I remember preaching in Montana several years ago at a a church that was a small home missions church and I stayed in the pastor's home, and, and the room was on the second floor of the home, and I could look out my window, and he had a little bit of property, I think 10 acres, and he had a lot of little exotic animals. He had pygmy goats, and, and there was a little pygmy goat that, that wasn't more than 12 inches tall, little bitty thing, and he had a newborn calf, and the the, the calf was eating out of the the, the feed loft or the, the trough there, whatever it's called, that he had put food in for it to eat. And, and it's eating, and that little goat 
jumped up in that trough. How he did it, I don't know. It was twice as high as he was, but he jumped up there. And he got in the trough, and he walked up and down, and he got down at the other end, and the cow was on the other, the little calf was on the other end, and he took off running with all his might and hit that calf right in the head. Whap! See, Jesus recognized that humans would have goat problems. Because he told Peter in John chapter 21, I think, maybe 20, when he met him on the seashore of Galilee, and he says to Peter, feed my sheep, feed my... In the Greek language, the fourth sheep is not sheep, it's more like a goat. Because Peter, you're going to have to deal with the goat nature of humans. And that goat nature of humans defies what the Holy Ghost can do for me. It's amazing to me how much trouble humans can stir up in God's church. And do it in the guise of trying to make it a better place. See, the Holy Ghost is not going to get that out of me. The Holy Ghost is going to empower me to recognize, you know what, there's a problem there. I need to do something about it. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, that if your brother has trespassed against you, go to him. Now, in the original translation, my brother trespassed against you is not there. So it literally just translates, if thy brother trespassed, Go to him. So if there's a sin that you see take place, we're not supposed to get on Facebook and tell everybody or remind everybody or or take pictures of it and post it. We're, We're supposed to, in the spirit of holiness, you which are spiritual, what do we do? Why am I speaking like this? I believe it was 1986 or 1987. At 2950 Broadway, a prophet stepped in the pulpit of that church and prophesied that in the last days, a great revival would start out of Houston, Texas. And spread all across the world from this place. That prophet was T.W. Barnes. Before he died, he kept reminding the people that were connected to him that that prophecy is going to come to pass. And I am convinced that revival is close. While we were doing the anniversary service, the Lord just started talking to me and, 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 and showing me some things about the wind that, that we had encountered and the effects of the wind. I started going through the Bible to discover the effect that wind had in, in so many different places. It parted the Red Sea. It, it caused the ship to almost sink on Galilee so that Jesus could go to the Gadarenes and free a demonic that had been possessed by 6,000 devils. It was the same wind that showed up on Pentecost 
and produce the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. The wind is actually a sign that God's Spirit is in the process of moving. And the winds of our world are produced by high pressures and low pressures. And wind always moves from the high to the low. The high will never produce anything other than heat. It will not produce a crop. It will not bring fruit to, to the to the surface or, or to its lifespan and, and produce fruit. It simply produces this sunshine that kills everything that it shines on. But it's when the lows of life that come that open the door for revival to start happening and taking place. And for us to have revival in our world, in our lives, starting right here in Greater Life Church, that revival is going to come about when God's kids recognize they've got some stuff on they need to take off. And when they recognize there's just some stuff I've let myself get attached to by association, by behavior, I've got to take that robe off. And when I unrobe myself of that, it opens the door for revival to take place. Because the seven things that are added are much more powerful than the six things you get rid of. The seven things you put on starts with bowels of mercy. One thing God cannot operate through is arrogance. When God can't move when there's arrogance present. So when arrogance shows up and we think we're better than somebody else and we, we, we start thinking we've got the answers when we don't have the answers. He's the one that has the answer. We just become a vessel he can flow through. And when I recognize that just as I get stuff off of my life, there are some things I've got to robe myself with. And the first thing I've got to rope myself with is bowels of mercy. I've got to start having or, or need to have compassion on people that hurt, that, that are, are going through struggles in life. And I, I don't give them the typical Pentecostal answers. See, our typical answer is, it's the will of God. Or God knew what you was going to go through. That's our answer. But when people are hurting, that's not a good answer. When people have lost things, not a good answer. They need more of your affection and your love than they do your words. Actually, what they need is our presence just to be there to let them know they're not alone. And we don't have to say a word. We just have to be present. And if I'm present, my spirit, if God's flowing through me, gives them an opportunity to find healing without me ever having to say a word. So there's things I put on. I, I robe myself with bowels of mercy. I robe myself with kindness, with humbleness of mind. I robe myself with meekness, with long-suffering. That's an ugly word. Long-suffering. Long-suffering. 
Where is the end of where suffering stops so that there's a line out here I can cross? I don't have to have long suffering anymore. I just reread this afternoon the story of Paul in Acts chapter 28. And as I was reading it, and it just simply ends by saying that, that Paul lived in a house in Rome for two years. And people came into his home on a regular basis, and he taught them. Paul or, or Luke could have wrote the ending of his life. Luke could have put in the word of God how Nero assassinated Paul. But he didn't conclude it that way. He concluded the life story of Paul as this old man in a home where people come just to pass through and have a conversation with. And some believed according to the scripture and some didn't. But he kept talking to them about the scripture. He kept talking to them about their relationship and who Jesus was and what Jesus could do for their lives if they'd just let him in and how he could save them from their sin and give them their life back. Those are the things he shared with them. And as a result, lives were changed. Matter of fact, history says one of those lives that come through the doors of that home was Nero's wife. And that Paul converted Nero's wife. And when he writes to the Philippians and says, all of the palace knows who I am, he's referring to Nero. Nero knows he's about me because his wife has received the Holy Ghost and been baptized in Jesus' name. And she's not living his lifestyle anymore. And so he tries to intimidate this old man by sending his trained assassins to guard him in the cell. So there's one Station on either side. But instead of letting those men intimidate him, he used the fact they're shackled that he had a captive audience to get at or or to start talking to them and witnessing to them. And history says they had to change them about every 30 minutes because he kept converting them. And there were only 10,000 and it'd take less than nine months to go through all 10,000. See, when I put things on that makes me more like Jesus, I start affecting the people that are around me. When I put on what Jesus is, then it starts touching the lives of people that I come in contact with. And they don't see me, they see Jesus. I will never forget the prayer The little lady on the west side of town prayed for me four or five years ago. I was invited to speak at the anniversary service of a small black congregation on the west side of town. She introduced me to speak that night. And before she introduced me, she prayed. And her prayer haunts me every day of my life. Because her prayer was, Jesus, would you please let Reverend Hughes, step far enough into your presence that we don't see him, we see you. So when I put on some stuff, I start putting on the nature of Jesus Christ. Because there's no one kinder 
than he is. Because there's never been one human being walk out of God's presence with their head down and their face red because they were shamed, embarrassed, or humiliated. He, he doesn't beat people up. He doesn't harm. He doesn't say harsh things. Even though I return on a regular basis and confess the same sin, he doesn't say, son, are you ever going to learn Son, if you'd listen to me, this wouldn't happen. Son, aren't you going to pay attention? Can't you become an overcomer? He never says those kind of things. When I pour out my heart in confession, he always says, when I'm through, here's my blood, son. Use your sponge, erase your record, so that this sin is never held against you again. And I am freed myself. I bought it out, the, the signed confession that I wrote. And it's taken away from my life so that I will never be judged by what I confess. See, I put on kindness. My world doesn't like that characteristic. My, my world thinks that's, that, that's cringing servitude. My world sees that as weakness. But Jesus sees it as strength. See, my, my world doesn't see humbleness of mind as a strength. My, my world doesn't see these issues as things that make you a better person. They see them as things you, you don't want. Uh, you, if you, if you take on those characteristics, somebody's gonna hurt you. Somebody'll step on you. Cause our world lives by this motto. If you're gonna get to the top, you're gonna have to climb a ladder. So you're probably gonna step on a few people on the way to the top. And I just saw research that shocked me when I read it just a few weeks ago. That, that made the statement that the majority of corporate leaders of America are sociopaths because they've stepped on so many people getting to the top. They don't care who they hurt or how they hurt them to get done what they think they want to get done. We can't let that kind of attitude become part of our attitude because if we're going to touch our world, then we have to reflect Jesus. We have to bend in His presence long enough that we start putting His nature on. And, and, and the, the humbleness of mind and, and the long-suffering and the forbearance are, are waiting patiently for, are tolerating, are allowing. That becomes part of my life. Amen. Then He said, I have to forgive one another. Now that's an interesting passage of scripture because if you go to the original translation, the pronoun is not translated correctly. It's not one another, it's yourself. If we're going to reach our world, the first thing we have to start acting like is that we're forgiven. We have to start modeling forgiveness. And the world understands. Now, I'm not perfect. I'm going to fail. I'm going to make mistakes. But I don't have to be perfect. If I do make a mistake, there's a sin covering called the blood of Jesus Christ. My little children sin not. But if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is a propitiation for my sin, but not my sin, but only but the sin of the whole world. I have a blood covering that will help me remove the sin stain. And the, the closer I get to Him, 
the further the failures get. The further away from him I get, the closer the failures get. So I discovered if I can just get as close to him as possible, I don't have this issue with flesh and this issue with nature that, that is there if I, if, if I'm close to him. But if I'm not close to him, those characteristics start showing up and I start saying things and doing things that hurt people. There's no such thing as constructive criticism. That, that would imply that, that, that hydrochloric acid is okay, but there's a, there's a good one and a bad one. Criticism is criticism. It doesn't matter if it's constructive or not. And that nature offends people. It hurts people. It causes issues. So I have to learn how to put off. Put it off. I disrobe myself of this, this maliciousness of mind that's evil. That's not from a devil. It's from DNA. And all of us have it. In us is the ability to be really evil if we choose to. If we just let flesh out, we can become anything. But if we learn how to control this flesh, then we learn how to guard what we say. I have to learn how to forgive, become kinder. And then I have to learn how to forgive myself for the issues I have in life. Forgiveness is not a multiple choice. Forgiveness, according to Jesus in Luke 17, is a duty. It's a requirement. Actually, the Lord's Prayer says it's conditional. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgiveness is not something I do if I want to or if they deserve it. Forgiveness is letting go of hurt and issues and not dragging them up on a regular basis to go over them or rehearse them over and over and over again. Now, some of you people don't have a problem with that in the least bit because you're real outgoing. You never meet strangers. Every environment you're in is always good. When you leave one room, go to the next. The problems in the last room stays there. You don't take them with you. But for all of us task-oriented people that are very introverted, that, that's a real problem. Because I don't want to turn, I got a memory like an elephant. I can remember the date, the time, the place, who was there, who was present, and what was said. If I let it happen, well, I have to choose not to. I have to choose to learn how to forgive people and not remind them after I said I forgave them. There are more marriages destroyed because you won't leave the past the past than any other issues. 
There are more relationships destroyed because we can't leave the past alone. We keep dragging it up to today and, and reminding them that, that, you know, you did that back then. That may have happened, but there's no rewind button. Nobody's going to back it up. Nobody's going to play it again. You're not going to fix it. You're not going to get a different outcome. You're going to forgive what people did to you. We forgive others. We forgive ourselves. And the one Pentecostals will not talk about is you got to forgive God. You say, I forgive God. No, you haven't. If you had, you wouldn't ask me why God let this happen. If that question ever shows up, then you think God was at the root of this problem. And that he allowed these things to take place. See, God, there are some things God chooses not to do. God doesn't violate my will. He doesn't violate your will. He doesn't change me. He doesn't change you. If you change, it's because you see a need to change. And when you choose to change, you let things go. And when you forgive others, forgive yourself, and then you let God know, you know, God, I was mad at you. I'm really wondering if you really think he didn't know. You just quit praying. You didn't talk to him for a while. You didn't read his word. See, those are all signs that I, I'm, I got a problem with him. If I don't have a problem with him, I really don't want to know what he's all about and what he's doing, what he's saying. And so I, I get involved in the word. But when I get angry at him, point that, that I, I belong, I leave prayer long. And, and when I, I get to that point that, that I've, I've done it long enough and I think it's okay, then I'll, I'll let him off the hook. We gotta forgive God as well. God doesn't cause sickness to come. God didn't cause my wife to develop pulmonary fibrosis. A doctor did. Because he gave her a medication longer than it's supposed to be taken, and the side effect is what she got. He didn't do that. That's just life. But because she hasn't held a grudge, and she's let it go, healing is taking place. And when you don't let things go, God no longer can heal. First Peter chapter 3, I think it's verse 7 or 8 says, Husbands, live with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as the weaker vessel, being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. The only thing that keeps things from happening in the world you and I live in today is not a devil. Because Jesus conquered him at the cross and he can't stop God from doing one thing nor you from doing anything. Because you've got power over him. However, the problems we have in our relationships are going to keep our prayers from going anywhere. And it's the arguing and fighting. It's those issues in marriage that hinder prayers. If I want my life better, and I want better 
connections with people, then I've got to start trying to act like Jesus. And there are some things that's going to require that i got to put on. Because I can never act like Jesus if I don't have the ability to sympathize with people. If I don't have bowels of mercy. If I don't have a heart of mercy. I, I, I can't touch people if there's no kindness or humility or gentleness or patience. When you get all those things together, you get the junk off and get the stuff on. Then you have the ability for the Holy Ghost to do what the Holy Ghost is supposed to do. It's to become the referee of your life and blow a whistle and say, time out. You're out of bounds, son. Your words just crossed the line. See, if you give the Holy Ghost a right to blow the whistle, it'll stop you every time you start to do something that's going to hurt somebody else or cause problems in any kind of relationship you're involved in. If you'll listen to what's inside, because Jesus said, it'll lead and guide you into all truth, remind you of what I said, teach you all things. If I let the Holy Ghost become the, 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 the power that God, pardon me, God gave me to help my life become different, it will. Speak to me. It will preach to me. It will guide me. It will give me revelation. And it will help my life to be better. And when that takes place, then it allows me, above all these things, I put on charity, which is the glue of perfectness. When I can love without being loved back, that's the glue that holds life together. Amen. What I can love when no one returns it. That's the glue that makes others feel safe. That's the glue that keeps relationships connected. That's the glue that gives us the ability to change our world. So Jesus stated that blessed are the peacemakers, not seekers. We don't find it. We create it. So he gives me the power to walk into any environment and bring peace there the instant I show up. If I choose, or I can bring as much chaos as I want. When Pentecostals come to work, everybody shouldn't run and hide. Everybody shouldn't say that, that you know, that guy's got a bigger temper than anybody else. When you and I show up on the workforce... There should be such peace about us that everybody in the room calms down just by us walking in the room. Because blessed are the peacemakers. And let the peace of God. You want the ruler to show up in life? It can only show up when God's peace shows up. And God's peace cannot show up until I get on me what makes me like him. When I start robing myself. See, the Holy Ghost is not going to put it on me. It's not going to make me. It's not going to coerce me. It's not going to browbeat me. It's going to allow me to make a decision. And when I discover this is really what I want my life, then I can become kind. I can become gentle. I can lose my arrogance. I can have sympathy and empathy with people. And when I do, 
then the hospital is open for God's patients to show up. And that's what we are. See, this church is God's hospital. It's where the wounded and bruised and hurting of life come and recover from what life has done. It's a place of safety. It's a refuge. Look at all the scriptures and psalms that, that talk about what God is. He's a shelter. He hides us uh, uh, under his wing. Uh, he's, he's a strong tower that the righteous run into and are safe. This is the only place I can ever go in my life where I am totally safe. And nothing will ever hurt me in the presence of God. Nothing. I'm never going to walk away harmed in any form when I get into God's presence. And when I do get there and I start putting his nature on, it starts affecting those that are around me. It starts affecting neighbors. It starts affecting... I, I, I hope that it's said in my older years that people just came to his house to talk to him. It's what they did Paul. Why? Because he learned there's some things you kill. Five of those, I preached about those. Verse 5, things you kill, five. Fornication, ordinary affection, evil conclusion, lasciviousness, covetousness, which you, you kill those things. Things you disrobe, anger, wrath, mouth. You got to get them out. And things you put on. And when I robe myself with him, then my world won't see me. They'll see him. Amen. When I put him on, others will not be tormented by my behavior. They won't run when I show up because they're terrified of me. They'll be comfortable to sit and talk because they feel safe. I've made it passion of my life over the last few years to try to make people safe or feel safe when I'm around them. I talk to people who've had so many hurting things in their life. And their most important need is to feel safe. They don't feel safe, they're going to run. And you can do it if you choose. But you got to guard your spirit. you got to put on Jesus. And when you put on Jesus, you don't laugh at them. You don't mock them. You don't tell them that's dumb. Why why'd you do that? You put on his nature. And when we do, the revival that God has promised, it's starting. And you're seeing it happen. And everything you've seen in the book of Acts, you're going to see the dead raised. You're going to see healing, the blind eyes open. You're going to see a lame man by a gate, beautiful, that's going to rise up and walk. Because everything... The former and latter rain. Actually, there's got to be double of all those things if you get the former and latter rain together. And the Lord is coming soon. So we might as well start preparing for revival and make sure that we create an atmosphere where hurting and wounded people can come and find healing and feel safe and, and, and enjoy the safe presence of the Lord. You won't have to say anything to them. They'll just want to walk in. I, I remember... Back in Bible college in the early 70s, when I had first met my wife, actually, I think we were married at the time, and at church one Sunday morning, uh, there was a lady that came to the front to pray. And I, I walked over to pray for her, and the Lord kind of stopped me. And so I just stood in front of her that morning as she started praying. And as she prayed, I... I I got a little worried because 
she was saying some real hurtful things. She was blaming God for a whole lot of stuff. And, and, and telling God how bad he had been to her. And, and, and just, I mean, she so I, I just stood and watched as she poured this junk out. And, and finally, when she got all the junk out, she said, you know, God, I don't know what I'm doing this for. I don't even know what I'm doing here. I was just walking by the door. And I felt you pull me here. So, God, whatever it is I'm supposed to have here, give it to me. And instantly she started speaking in tongues. See, God's, He don't get His feelings hurt by what people say. He's not offended when people show up and get mad at Him. He knows you're mad already, so just get honest about it. Tell Him, God, you know, I don't understand this, God. You don't have a problem with that. You, you gotta let, you gotta forgive Him too. When you do, just people walking by. No one invited her. No one. She owned the way by that morning. Something pulled. And she come inside. Bishop Archie tells a story of a prayer meeting at his house one day with Sister Willie Johnson. That as they started praying for lunch, prayer meeting broke out. It's just Bishop Archie and Sister Willie Johnson and, and, and the bishops, seven or eight kids, all around the dining room table. They started praying. Food got cold. But in a little while, knocks started coming on the door. And one of them got up and went to the door. And the person at the door said, what's going on here? And they said, well, we're just praying. Well, I was walking by and something just pulled me in here. So they brought them in. Thirteen people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost that day at their dining room table as a result of them just praying over a meal. That's our roots, folks. That's what got us here. That's what's going to get us to the next level. Programs won't. All this other junk won't. But if we can get close enough to Jesus to put him on and robe ourselves with him, then we'll start seeing people come. The presence of God will start drawing them. And the book of Acts said, God added daily to the church such as should be saved. God added. There's no telling what's about to take place and happen in Houston, Texas. Are you ready for the ride? Because it'll be the most incredible experience you've ever had in your life. Are you really ready to see God move in a way that that's beyond your ability to comprehend? The wind started blowing last summer and it made you uncomfortable. And when it got you out of your comfort zone, that allowed God to move and operate. Now, God's in control. And God can start doing things. And things are going to start happening that's going to shock us. We're going to hear of miracle after miracle after miracle. I believe someone tonight got a touch from God. The lady who has leukemia, she could very well be totally healed tonight as a result of the prayer coming from this church. Because that's what this end time's about. And if we want to see it happen, then we got to understand, I've got some responsibilities in this thing. And the, my responsibility is to get James off 
and Jesus own. I, I gotta get James out of the way and I gotta get Jesus in my life. And when I get Jesus wrapped around me, then people will see him and not me. Please stand. Gracious Father, thank you for your incredible word. Thank you for the prophecies of your word. Thank you for your word declaring that in the last day there would be a former and latter reign together. Lord, we're reminding you tonight that your word openly declared a great revival would come in this last day. Lord, we want to put you on. We want to get as close to you as we possibly can so that we start looking like you and acting like you and talking like you so that we start becoming a reflection of what you look like, not a reflection of what we look like. Our ideals, our goals, our desires become second and your will in our life becomes paramount and everything we do, we start looking to you asking, what is your will? Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. And when I start seeking your will and I get close enough to you that you start robing me with your nature, then I have the ability to step into my world and bring change to the world that I'm in because you have given me the power and the authority to do so. God, I pray you'd bless your children tonight. God, I pray that if in any home or any marriage that's here tonight, if there are walls that have been built, if there have been issues that are causing relationships to fall apart, I pray that tonight we make a decision to take the first atom off and put the second atom on. I'm going to get rid of the James in my life and put on the Jesus of my life. I want to ask you, Jesus, that I know what you think. I want to think like you. I want to get close enough to you, Jesus, that I know what you think. I know where you're looking. I know what your desire is because I have been with you and I have had fellowship with you as the first disciples. It was noted of them that they had been with you, Lord. Our desire tonight is that your world or our world that we live in today would recognize we've been with you long enough that we've started looking like you, talking like you, and responding like you. I worship you today, Jesus. I worship you today, Jesus. I worship you today, Jesus. Bring healing to our homes, our relationship. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, worship Him tonight, please. Would you like to worship Him?